0: Hi and hello, Watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuts. Today, I am joined by the co-founder of Zeitwinkel, Albert Edelman. How are you doing today, Albert? I'm very good. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you here. We have met several times at events over the years, but we've never recorded a podcast together. So today is a a very special moment for me, and uh, it means a lot that you took the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. So our listeners maybe don't know so much about your brand. Would you be kind enough to give us a bit of a background into it? How long has it been in existence? And why did you kick it off in the first place?
1: We are three friends from the southwest of Germany, one of which Peter had been in the watch industry for quite some time. And at some point, he wanted to um, start an own brand, or we had been discussing starting an own brand for quite some time. But we didn't want to do it the way everybody did, which was just purchasing movements, purchasing existing cases, and maybe designing a little bit uh, around the dials, and then adding a healthy margin. So we got drawn into the rabbit hole of developing our own movement in the year 2006. So that's when we started the project and the, the brand. And we started to develop our own movement together with some partners. At the time, that was um, a small engineering office run by Laurent Bess in Le Locle, And we developed the movements together with him. We designed the watches, which was all in all a three-year process.
0: And We had our first watches in 2009. So I'm studying some of the movements that you use today, and I see... That's German silver there, right? Yes, that is
1: untreated uh, German silver, Um, not coated with anything after decoration, not um, in any way suitable for industrial production. It has to be handled very diligently, very carefully, because if you touch it with your bare hands, for example, you uh, leave a fingerprint that will be on there for quite some time and if you make any mistakes in decoration you can basically throw it away you cannot cover up any mistakes and that was one of the reasons why we chose untreated german silver because we wanted to um show craftsmanship we wanted to build watches they were built like they were built many many years ago and um you see on some of the parts maybe um the character of the, the watchmaker that has handled them on some parts you can actually tell who uh, decorated them or worked on them but the other advantage is this untreated german silver is beautiful when it ages it um, doesn't change color a lot but it gets a very
0: very warm and um glowing um color which is quite nice It is. It is very nice. Most of our listeners will probably have seen this uh, strange, it's a pale yellow gold hue, really, through the case back of and Zona Watches or maybe Moritz Grossman, because it's a very typical, quite unsurprisingly given the name, German thing to use. Is that significant to you? Do you see yourselves very much as a German brand and has that inspired the movement architecture and your principles as a company? I'm not really. Just uh, because of the
1: coincidence that the founders are from Germany, from a part that used to be French and German and French and German back and forth, um, doesn't mean the brand is in any way German. But uh, we, I, I believe, we have a good mix between tradition and modern traits. We have a good mix of cultures, um, which makes lots, uh, which makes up a, a large part of the Swiss watch industry, by the way, and we mix elements that might be more common in watches from Germany with elements that are very, very Swiss. And Zeitfinger is definitely
0: a Swiss brand. So give me an example of some of those very German components and very Swiss components for those of our listeners that don't know. Okay. Um, Well, the
1: design of the watches and design of many components in the movement um, can be called Germanic. And and some of the... uh, watch dial designs um have been described as a touch of Bauhaus. But then again the the curves we have in the um let's say the rotor design and some other elements are very, very French speaking Swiss area. And then again you have a three quarter plate on the automatic movements, which is quite unusual, at least at the time when we did it, was quite unusual in um, Swiss watches. So we believe it's a good mix of different influences, but it's not a German watch. It's definitely a Swiss watch. So where exactly is this movement made? First of all, it's our own movement. You don't find it anywhere in any other watches. We don't make this movement for anybody else. And um, all the components are made in Switzerland, in the area surrounding our manufacture in Saint-Imier, which is in the Swiss uh, Jura. between Biel, Bien, and um, La Chaux-de-Fonds, and Le Locle, And the components are made, or at, at least in the beginning, were all made by companies that are in that vicinity. And then what we do is we take them in-house, we finish decorations, we finish the components, and uh, that's something that surprises many visitors to the workshop, that the majority, the bulk of our work is not assembling movements and assembling watches, but I would think more than 70% of what we do is actually finish
0: and work on um, movement components. That is quite remarkable. How many people do you have working for you at this time? And
1: that's the the other big surprise that um, visitors encounter when they visit us. We have three watchmakers. So we don't make a lot of watches. We make In the vicinity of around 100 watches every year Um, sometimes more sometimes less also depending on factors often that we cannot influence like when um, you're waiting for a partner to finish let's say a dial and that dial comes a lot later than everybody had hoped for Um, and these three watchmakers are mostly working on the components of the Movement. So let's say there's um, a visitor that comes in and expects to see something akin to a um, chocolate factory where you have a showroom and you have all these chefs and they fill pralinés by hand and everything is very cozy. Um, Whereas when they visit us, they see a watchmaker polishing away on one single component. And when they leave an hour or two later, he's still polishing a um, batch of the same component. And it might seem boring to somebody who visits, but it's actually quite fulfilling. And it's, um, I would say, traditional watchmaking. This is what it's about. It's not a machine um, churning out finished components and you clip them together, but um, you actually have to make them work. You have to make them shine. You um, apply decoration for various reasons, but one of them is um, to give the watch a character. And that's what they do. And then, of course, we assemble the movements, we test them, we take them apart again, we test them again. And um, finally, the assembly of the watches is something that needs to be done with a lot of diligence, but it's um, only the
0: tip of the pyramid. So that's what the watchmakers get up to on a daily basis. But how about you? What does your life as one of the co-founders and people running the brand actually look like?
1: If we leave out the breakfast part, I would say it's mostly discussing with customers. Um, I get to do our social media. Um, I get to take the photos and um, work on the social media presence, which is on Instagram, Zeitwinkle.ch. And um, there's lots of stuff that usually gets done in larger companies by people who are specialized that we as founders do ourselves. And it's anything from taxes to administrative stuff to something hasn't arrived that should have arrived. Something has arrived that shouldn't have arrived, whatever it's, it's, um, as you probably know, very, very well,
0: it's all the stuff
1: that you're not planning for and that you have
0: to do. That is a strange truth about running a brand, isn't it? You spend most of your time doing jobs that you never even knew existed and praying that one day you actually get back to doing the thing that you took the task on board for. But what about your co-founders the other two guys tell me about them what are their backgrounds and what are do they doing in the business now
1: Okay my background is um more in business than uh, for the other two um I used to be in renewable energies that's uh what I had. that's where I started a company in when I was 20 I think and um for me it is quite it, it's not as frightening maybe as to um, many other people to start something that doesn't work immediately where you don't um, have action and an immediate automatic reaction um, such as success. Um, Peter he has a legal background and um, has been in the watch industry for also 30 years now and he is, if if I had to give him one label at Sidewinkle, he's the guy who knows the Technology, he knows the suppliers, he usually has great ideas how to solve problems where everybody says you need to hire a specialized, very expensive company to solve that. And then number three is um, a former now art professor, Ivica Maximovic, um, but nobody calls him that. Everybody calls him Max, M A K S. And he used to be a professor for art and um, marketing communication. And he's the one responsible for our in-house typeface for the font we use, uh, which is coincidentally called Zeitwinkel. For all our communication, he um, designed the logo, the brand. Um, He is the one with the crazy ideas in design and uh, that already hints to the fact that we balance quite well as a as a t so um max is 70 i'm in my early 50s peter is in between we have different experiences we have different tasks. we have different backgrounds i'm more down to earth where i um look at something from the end and ask where is this leading us and why are we doing this and um Max on the other and somebody who says, oh, let's just try this. This will work out fine. This is a super idea. And um, I really believe in that. Um, it's, it's a really good mix. And we've been doing this for 17
0: years now. And we're still together. I think that would surprise a lot of people that you've been around for so long. Because 2006 sounds like, well, it sounds like generations ago in Watchmaking. So much has changed. So many new technologies have entered the industry. The industry has been through peaks and troughs. You've navigated your way through a pandemic. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I want to pick up on something that you said there about your long-termist vision. When you got into the brand, when you decided to start it with your two buddies, exactly what did you envisage building? What did you want from it, both personally and professionally? Okay, so um, personally, I think
1: I was probably a bit hesitant Um, in the beginning because I thought there are so many watches out there and um, where do we fit in? And as we started to discuss what do we want, and this, the watches you see is what we wanted. It's not something where we had a panel of watch enthusiasts and we chose the middle way of what they said. It's what we wanted. As we discussed that, I was really drawn in to building a very nice watch and of course we didn't have knowledge of what was about to happen when we were in the middle of the development of the movements for example there was a financial crisis in 2008 which um, killed off a lot of companies in in the watch industry including our friends who helped us um, design and um, construct the the movement so all of a sudden we were faced with taking everything in house and finishing the development the prototypage of the movement in house all of these things were not expected and I think we grew we grew a lot uh, along these um challenges and uh, I think it is still what what I envisioned personally it has come true so we have built the watches we wanted we have stuck to our principles. We're not taking any shortcuts whatsoever. We're not hiring an actor to claim or an actress to claim. Um, They love our watches um, for an absurd amount of money. As a business, I think we, even with the knowledge that we had, and especially Peter had, we underestimated the many small challenges um, you have in terms of building your own movement and um, building watches the way we do and if you add to that the um, financial crisis in 2008 the um, complete change in the retail landscape that happened when we started we um, Mm -hmm. sold through retailers we were listed at tournoir in in the u.s and with many other also well-known retailers, but also how the whole landscape of independent watchmaking changed. Right In the beginning, when we came out with our own movement, everybody said, that's, an, that's a modified ETA, and you're not really building these movements. Nowadays, um, you don't have to explain to anybody what an independent watchmaker is. So along the lines of um, building watches for um At the end of the day, 17 years now, um, there were always challenges that you couldn't preempt, where you had to adapt, where sometimes you had advantages as a very, very small brand, but very often you had disadvantages, adapting. And so I would say uh, from a business perspective, I wouldn't recommend starting a watch brand unless you really believe in it and unless you want to stick in there and um, ride the, the roller coaster but it's fun. It's really fun.
0: I mean, it is fun and you always exude enjoyment whenever you're at fairs. You're one of the most cheerful brand owners that I've ever met, despite those many, many years of tumult that you had to endure to get the product exactly where you wanted it to be and to help people understand it. Because as you say, when you started the brand, the concept of someone making their own movement in the way you did was just completely alien. And it's I think maybe one of Watchmaking's best kept secrets that you do have these movements inside your watches because they are absolutely gorgeous. What's your favorite watch in the collection and why? Oh thank you, thank you very much. It's it's not only um
1: that we uh, build our own movement, it's also um we had an automatic movement. And when when we started it was very, very rare that an independent brand had an automatic movement. A self-winding uh, movement that um, where the mechanism later became a bit of a standard with other brands. Um, so what is my favorite watch? Depends on who asks. For the press, I would always say uh, I love all my children and we love all our watches. Um, since nobody is listening, I would say our model 273 degrees in the smoked sapphire. But then again, we um, just received some new dials we had been waiting for um for nearly two years now and when i saw those on
0: wednesday two days ago when we were recording this um there might be a new favorite oh it sounds like an exclusive is brewing there what do you mean nobody's listening we had fifty five thousand downloads over the last 30 days albert everybody's listening everybody that, that matters listens anyway that's how how highly I value our audience, the Real Time Show Network. You know, we have a WhatsApp community that any listeners are welcome to join. All they need to do if they want to get involved with the Real Time Show and get to know like minded people is contact either me or Alon or David via any of the usual channels. You can find us on Instagram at Rob R O B N U D D S, at Alon Ben Joseph, A L O N B E N J O S E P H, or at D A V A U C H E R for David. And if you want to send Albert a message, you can do so on zeitwinkel.ch as you said that's z e i t w i n k e l dot c h moving on your long-term vision for the brand if you were forced and i'm going to force you because i'm a investigative journalist as you know i want to know exactly where you see this brand at the time that you either step away from it voluntarily or die in a horrible watchmaking related accident which is always on the cards Yes, it's definitely on the cards, and um, by the way, that was
1: a joke about nobody listening, and usually when people see me and see my straight face, they understand the German component, because the humor is (laughs) hollow. That's why they keep me away from the bench, because they are super afraid that I will stab myself with a screwdriver or um, get attacked by a movement that I badmouthed at some point in my um, life. No, um, Actually, I don't have a vision for that point in time. I want the brand to be successful, to remain respected, to remain true to its values, to not take shortcuts, to not um, become more marketing than um, content. Um, But do I have a uh, financial goal? Do I have a a specific number of watches we want to build? No, it's um, rather a list of small things and one of the biggest things in these small things is that we need to become much much better at telling our story so if i had to pin one thing up there and that's obviously a very unusual answer um we have a next we have a lot to tell we we have very interesting stuff that um Visitors find when they visit us, or that watch enthusiasts discover when they look at our watches. But we're not good enough at telling about them. So we're one of those brands that don't need to invent a story, that don't need to spin anything around how this actor discovered a one of our watches somewhere, and then um, the watches became famous, whatever. But we're so busy running this company, we're so busy building watches that we. We'll find time tomorrow to do it, but then tomorrow comes. So what what we're doing as a, as a first step there is we're um, installing a blog on our website with many little stories um, about components,
0: about events, about what we did, about how we make our watches. That is a very interesting point that you've touched upon because I wanted to pick it up myself. I was going to say what is your relationship with the broader mainstream watch media like? Because you've been around for a long time. I've been writing about watches for about half of your existence. And I think in my career, I've written about Zeitwinkel maybe twice. Now, why is that? Do you not reach out to mainstream media as much as you should? Do you find that the conditions around getting coverage these days are not conducive to doing business with those outlets what's the problem i'm the problem
1: um no it's obviously we're not reaching out as professionally as we could and should because of capacity and um my personal incompetence that's um, right up there but if you look at the landscape and you described it quite nicely um, there are certain mechanisms in that landscape on how the machine is fed, and the machine needs a lot of um, fodder. Uh, it needs to be fed. If you have something new, if you have something fairly exciting to show, um, then the mainstream watch media will write about you because it uh, fills nicely into the gaps of paid content, and there needs to be something that is not paid in um what you see in the magazines or on the on the websites but mostly what you see is um pro quo so um i pay you a nice first class flight to uh, an italian island from the u.s and i wine and dine you and i show you something or hand you a press release and and um, your part is to put that press release on your website a week not only cannot afford that as a small watch brand, but we also don't want to do it, and we cannot churn out new models um, twice a year. That's just not what we are about. So I would, I fully understand that um, the mainstream watch media has to make money, and apart from the concept of becoming a retailer or doing cooperations, which is all fine and good, um, there's very little that uh, they can do outside of uh, paid content because nobody at the end of the day wants to pay for watch content as a consumer. You can get it for free or presumably free.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point. And you're absolutely right that there must, by necessity, be unpaid content in the watch media or it ceases to be media. In the truest sense of the word, it just becomes a promotional arm for a Commercial partnership, which is less useful, I think, to the community that do need unbiased voices to explain what pieces actually are and why they should pay attention to them. And I appreciate that you can't produce maybe enough show stopping novelties on a yearly basis to actually force the media to cover them. You know, you want to be in a position, a very fortunate position, where the media feels like, in order to stay on top of the news and to stay ahead of their competitors they have to cover those watches but you seem to put a great deal of effort into attending fairs i know you as an avid fairgoer someone that gets out in front of the community directly and builds the audience that way do you think that that is an effective strategy for siring long-term relationships between the brand and the followers or do you feel that you really need to balance that with some more mainstream presence absolutely the the latter we need to be more
1: present in the mainstream despite our limited uh, resources and um we're working on that so all joking aside and all sarcasm aside um we just have to pick our um, channels because this, even if we put all our money into a page three ad in the new york times it would just you know be a drop on a very hot stone and um, very few people would notice so you have to it's 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 um it's basically the sum of many many small steps and we have customers who purchase a watch and we ask them how did you find this and they will say i read an article about you and then i mentioned a list of articles that might have appeared in the last half year and he said no 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 it was about 10 years ago and i've been looking at your watches since so it's also extremely difficult to understand what works and what doesn't work. But maybe coming back very briefly to the um, fairs you mentioned, we started off um, doing Basel World for a few years. And at the time, it was a wild bunch of small independents um, in a tent outside uh, the uh, behind the parking garage where Basel World had put all the. Um, the, the relatives that weren't quite presentable. Um, and But you had companies like Max Buse and Friends in there. You had Haldiman in there. You had Kudoke in there. Year, So all of these have become quite interesting brands. But world for us changed. And what we do nowadays is very small events or fairly small events um, where we are in direct customer contact, where we um, where they get to talk to the founders where we can actually Show our watches and they can touch them. I believe that is much more interesting if um, somebody is really interested in independent watchmaking to go to um, events like Watch Pro Salon or um, we met in Finland, but there's at at the um, watch show in Helsinki. Uh, we did Oslo this year. We will do Waterford in um in Ireland oh very nice to Ireland. I was born there no i know (laughs) and so that that's actually an event if if you're really interested in independent watchmaking do go there i called it the davos of um independent watchmaking because it's it's fairly small and waterford is um not new york city um certainly so you can walk in and last year there were guys who walked in and they got to talk to andreas strela for half an hour and not as in, um, yeah, we'll tell you this, but then please leave me alone. There were very, very good discussions between the watchmakers. Um, you had um, quite interesting mix of um, people there um, from somebody who couldn't tell a quartz watch from a uh, automatic uh, movement, but they all got along splendidly, and what Johnny McElheron, um, who organizes the event, did was really build a memorable event
0: for everybody involved so this year the the lineup looks also very very interesting so shout out to johnny he's a friend of the show a lovely man and a great ambassador for watchmaking in general i believe he's had a lot to do with the foundation of the irish museum of time which is also in waterford so if you get the chance to visit waterford for this wonderful event where you'll see a lot of great watchmakers and do make a little bit of extra time during your stay to go to the irish museum of time it's uh i believe it's built in an old church and it looks like it's really excellently appointed and definitely definitely a smart place to stop by if you have some extra time definitely it's 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 really
1: really cool so that's um just to round this up it's um from september
0: 22nd to 24th of this year throughout all of these face-to-face meetings that you've had with watch fans have you been able to identify your target demographic it's difficult, because that's, um, as they say in the life
1: of Brian, everybody's an individual except for me. Um, it's I, If I had to have one common denominator, it would be that watch enthusiasts that have um, an understanding of watchmaking that appreciate craftsmanship, and um, also... People who don't need something flashy, who don't need a well-known brand to define themselves. But other than that, it could be somebody in their 20s who just likes the design and thinks it's super cool what we do. And we have had um, a handful of customers who were between 75 and 80 who had never bought what they considered an expensive watch. And who said, this is really right down my alley. Uh, I think this is what I want.
0: So you talk about trying to widen your presence, shall we say, to grow your presence in the minds of watch fans, but the difficulties of doing that when it comes to paid partnerships with mainstream media outlets. You have pursued collaborations in the past. I remember, I think it was last year, you did one with Chrono Tempest, am I right? Yes, That's the model 126 degrees. And it's a very nice watch. So firstly, I want to know how successful was that project for you? And secondly, I want to know what level of input did Cryo Tempest have in the design?
1: Okay, so we have, um, first of all, we we sell most of our watches directly to um, watch enthusiasts because we cannot afford the margins. And at least when we took that decision about eight years ago, the um, retail landscape was such that we didn't find enough partners who really understood independent watchmaking, what it is about, and um, how much you have to explain about the watches. So nowadays, we sell most of watches direct, but we have a few partners, such as the limited edition Pietro in the UK, who really understands and who's um, a great proponent of independent watchmaking, and um, some other partners in Japan, in Bahrain, and. Also, Chronotempus, who um, both promote our existing watches, but with whom we sometimes do um, collaborations. And in the case of the Chronotempus uh, Zeitwinkel 126 degrees, that was super well received. Although, um, as it always goes when you plan something on time, we had significant delays. Um, to finally get the dials produced. And the input from Chrono Tempus was actually quite um, significant. They designed the dial, which is a beautiful um, multi-level dial with untreated German silver in the middle that picks up the um, movement material with our logo that is um, the inverted W of our um, old type one. Um has a 3D uh, tapestry in white around that metal and then a black ring. They um, designed the the strap and um, for them we did something we would not want to do again because we have a 21 millimeter uh, lug width on that watch as opposed to our um, usual 20mm.
0: That is certainly an interesting lug width. The only brand I can think of that has twenty-one millimeters as standard is Fortis and they quite cleverly chose twenty millime- chose twenty one millimeters because it was palatable with all of their watches, no matter the diameter. So they have straps that fit every single watch in the collection. But you've really made a rod for your own back there by having one watch with a twenty-one millimeter strap. Why did you say yes to that?
1: Um because we're pushovers.
0: No, <laughs> I kind of half believe you. <laughs> no, there's there's a design
1: logic in it, and um, obviously we we are quite flexible. That is a an advantage of um, being a small brand, but we will only do things that are reasonable, um, unless you force us with money, and um, that are on brand. And there we are quite strict, and um, that for that watch it was just a logical step that we took and it was very well received we will um, bring out so that was a 42.5 millimeter version and we will um, have the 39 millimeter version of that ready in
0: um, in fall and there's um, quite some interest for that i can imagine yeah sub 40 millimeter watches are really taking off right now so Will it have the same movement in it? And will it have the same strap width? Yes, for the movement, definitely. The um, 102
1: automatic movement, but certainly not the the same luck width. It will be 18 um, millimeters and it will still look.
0: Oh, very nice. I like the way that Chrono Tempus removed the logo from the center of the dial and used it in a repeating pattern. I like the cleanliness of just the word marked sidewinkle. Now, my German is not Excellent. But to me, that word looks like it would translate directly as time angle. Is that close to correct? Yes, that is as close to correct as you can get. <laughs> it it actually means time
1: angle. And um, that was a, another part of the process when we started the project. So we were maybe too focused on having the movements. And only then did we think about how do we package the movement. So obviously the design of the dials is already somewhat determined by the movement. And that was a lot of work to put a- putting everything where it should be. But um, at some point you have to look at the brand name. And um, what was common then and is still common today is you purchase or grab a brand name that has been around for decades or even centuries. And you just um, claim that that is the tradition. So we wanted neither that nor our own names. And we had to have something that is fairly unique. But um, something is memorable. And it's also somewhat of a um, nice contrast to the fact that we are in French-speaking Switzerland. It's a very Germanic
0: Indeed it is. Does it have like a hidden meaning? Is it like you're approaching time from a different angle or did you just like the way that it sounded as it rolled off the tongue?
1: Well, it, it is a, a measure for the um, correct time at any given point because, um, you know, we have time zones, but obviously the point in time when it is 12 o'clock somewhere is determined by the angle of the sun. And um, to make things easier, we divided Earth into 24 time zones. But if you want to calculate certain times, you need the, the angle to the sun. And um, that is the tide Trigger. So yes, it has a um, watch or horological meaning, but it's also an, an interesting name.
0: You know, there aren't just 24 time zones in the world. Yes, I'm I'm fully aware of that. And every time
1: you start designing a GMT watch, that's the point where you just put the pencil aside and say, okay, let's have a drink instead.
0: (laughs) So I, I think off the top of my head, and I'm sure if I'm wrong, please, one of our listeners correct me. I think there's 38 different time zones in total, including... 15 and 45 minute offsets around the world of which there must be 14. Do you ever plan on creating a watch that is able to calculate all of those time angles? And if not, because you mentioned the importance of the complications and how they affect the design of the dial, what other complications do you feel like you might want to bring into Zeitwinkel's catalog going forward? Okay, so we will certainly at some point have a um second
1: time zone um for a watch and we um are thinking about how we will do that, but we will certainly not build a watch that um automatically um shows you the correct time everywhere because all of these enclaves and exclaves of um of time zones are just mind boggling. Um but what, what we will do next, apart from the new dial versions I told you about, which will bring a lot more color into our lineup, uh, we're working on a second line of watch cases because the, the current watch cases with their glass bead blasted, um, sides that are, um, super sturdy and they're polished, um, parts, they, are a modern twist on, on a classic dress watch type um, case. And what we're doing is we're picking up that design language and we're um, having a more water, pr- uh, with with a uh, higher water, uh, case with a higher water resistance that is a little rounder, that is a little sportier, um, where we can do things that are just not, that just, don't work as good with our um, existing watch cases. So that will likely happen in the first half of next year. So talking about watch cases,
0: where are they made?
1: Um, the watch cases are actually at the moment made in Germany, in the um, traditional West German watchmaking um, area. Are we talking Fortsim? Uh, Fortsim, the, the Fortsim area. Um, and the reason at the time was that with the... Lugs that we have that need to be um, treated in the exact same way to get this um, interplay of different surface structures. Nobody in Switzerland was willing to do it, and if so, they um, at the time quoted prohibitive pricing. So um, not, nowadays we, we have in-house machinery where we could make our own cases. Um, we have all kinds of lasers and we have a CNC um and um, all of that. But we always have to pick, do we make it ourselves and use
0: our watchmakers' resources there or do we externalize it? I'm guessing your movements are made in Switzerland. Your cases are made in Fortsheim. It follows that your dial and hands are probably made in Fortsheim as well.
1: Um, no, actually, um, we obviously have different dial partners, but most of our dials are made in Switzerland. And only, I think, one part was in um, also... That area of Germany, but then you have to keep in mind um, we're doing a lot of work on many of these components after we get them in. So it's always a mix between Germany and Switzerland. If something is made in, in Germany, but the vast majority of um, anything by well, some claim weight um, as a measure. Um, it's probably rather value um, is is done in uh, Switzerland. Some some of it within walking
0: distance of um, our uh, area. I mean, this is starting to sound like this is a fully European-made watch. What about the straps? The straps are, um,
1: well, also different strap types. Um, But the straps are,
0: if I'm not completely mistaken, mostly Italy. Good grief. Okay, so I'm trying to catch you out here. Where on earth is the Asian manufacturing coming in? Do you have any packaging, you know, uh, for shipping? I would assume that there is a certain
1: um, component of Asian manufacturing in the, um, in the watch boxes, even though we get them in Switzerland. Um, it would be naive to assume otherwise, but um, that is one of the interesting things about Zeitwinkel. You peel away and you think, okay, the behind-the-curtain area must appear somewhere right now. It's on the map, hmm. um, but it doesn't appear. You just peel away. that's that's our problem we we are what we totally are uh
0: yeah and yeah it's hard to get people to believe that i guess uh in in the modern landscape people are very cynical about the origin of components but that you've given us a clean straight up answer totally transparent to where all of the components are made and quite honestly stated that there may be some asian component to the packaging but i was really being facetious there because i don't think anybody cares about where the packaging is made because that's not what lands on your wrist all could end up in the hands of your descendants. And that's a question I have for you before I go back to collaborations and media and whatnot. Do you intend on handing this company down to a second generation, or are you more focused on just building it out as, as far as you can while you're still active in the company yourself? And, um, at the beginning of 50, I
1: believe I have another 50 uh, productive years ahead of me. Anything <laughs> else would be a, a surprise for me. No, no. Um... I am not a believer in handing or in hoping that the next generation will fulfill my dreams. And that doesn't mean that uh, I have a son, that my son, if he's really inclined, um, I'm doing that, if he's really interested, if he finds that is exactly what he wants to do with his life, how he wants to mess up his future, um, then um, of course you can start discussions there. But if you hope that the next generation will um, put everything aside they want to do and um, just pick up your dreams or uh, continue exactly what you were hoping um, to achieve, um, no, that that doesn't work for me. So um, as I said before, our perspective is to build watches along the lines of our values in the exact same that way that we're doing right now. Of course, we want to be more successful, better known, have more interactions, but it's not
0: like we want to um, build a um, legacy. Okay. Okay. So talking of dreams, is there anything that you would like to try with the brand, but you feel you can't do within the confines of the brand itself and therefore might like to explore with a collaborator? So a bit of context, whenever I was working on special editions with brands in the past, I would always say, look. You can do something really crazy and blame it on me. If it goes badly wrong, just say, well, well, that was the collaborator's fault. You know, that was what they wanted to do. That was their vision. And through that experimentation, you can learn more about the brand and its potential demographic that you perhaps hadn't already tapped into. Is that something that appeals to you? Have you ever thought about it like that? Yes and no. Um, so we
1: are three people who decide on things like that. We are also guardians of the brand. Um, to some extent so we would never do anything just to have a um, quick marketing effect like you often see a very complicated or special watch that um, they allegedly did in-house that never sees the light of um, or or sees the wrist of a customer Um, but we we actually do what we want if we want to build something we don't need a collaborator to um, to hide behind However, there is a um, value in having partners who take part of the risk. Because for us, if we build around 100 watches, and let's say we want a very colorful dial or we want something that is um, maybe a little off-brand, putting resources aside to, um, say, build 10 watches um, that are in this different way um, is quite a risk. And if you have a partner who um, says, I can definitely sell half of them, um, that makes things a lot easier for us. But we don't need anybody to hide behind. If we want to do something, we do it. And if it's technically so complicated um, that we cannot do it alone, or it takes up so much resources, we probably also cannot do it.
0: Very nice. Thank you again for being so transparent there. So tell me this, are you a watch collector yourself? Yes,
1: to a certain extent, but I don't have this fascination with having to have every um, watch of a certain brand or um, every, I don't know, um, one watch from every brand. I have a few vintage watches. I like Omigas. Um, um, the old watches have a Gégé le LeCoultre. I have an um, old Lange and... Uh, Patek and one of the very old Rolexes, um, that still looked like every other watch in, in that period from the from the fifties. Um, but I wouldn't say that since I um was part of starting Titangle, I have gone
0: out to buy any other watch, unfortunately. Is that because you can basically make what you want for your own wrist, or because the other watches don't offer you anything other than I guess historical significance is the consistent thread between all the pieces that you just referenced there. Um, yes and no. It's it's because I like them. It's
1: not um, that I said, I, if I have this watch, I also need that watch to reflect a certain period. But if you run your own watch brand, you put all your resources into that. And of course, you could say, I now want a, say, pink dial, so you um, have one made for you. But that's not what I do. I just focus on... Um, making the best possible watches and uh, making this company and the brand work in the way it should and um, for quite some time a lot of my attention and resources fully went into that it's uh, we're talking about 80 to 100 hour weeks at um, some point when you say uh, this is very uh, theoretical let's say you had a pandemic And um, your complete supply chain collapses and nobody knows where things are going. You don't think of buying any vintage
0: watches if you want to um, keep everything afloat times. Yeah, I suppose that makes perfect sense. So looking around the industry now and at the peers that you interact with frequently at events and those that you only get to view from afar, which brands do you like and admire, and why is it some it, do you look at it more from a product perspective or a promotion perspective or something else it's it's a um three hundred sixty degree answer I would have to give there
1: because you have um so many different aspects that you also just mentioned, so I think the common denominator for brands I really like is um honesty. However, once that is um, on the table, you look at different things different companies do well. So let's just, um, let's say Fears. Um, Nick from Fears, he's an excellent storyteller. And he's somebody who's very, very good at um, letting people know what his brand and what he as a watchmaker and brand owner is about. And then you look at people like um, Dave from from Garrick in the uk garrick watches he um, builds excellent watches at a price point um that is much too low and he has some very very interesting in-house capabilities um that are uh well mostly unparalleled with many other watch brands but then there are also um also admire company like rolex which has been able to industrialize a standard quality at a
0: very, very high level. Very nice answer. And thanks for actually naming brands so candidly. So, last question on the subject of other brands and collaborations, because we've talked a lot about both. The recent Onlywatch auction collection for 2023 has just been announced. And... Within Only Watch, we occasionally see brands team up and create something one-off for a lucky bidder to buy in support of research into Duchenne muscular dystrophy. The next Only Watch auction is 2025. Do you envisage the possibility ever of collaborating with another brand on a watch, maybe for that auction or for some other purpose? And if so, which brand would you like to bring into Zeitwinkel to create something entirely new?
1: Hey, we obviously we would be prepared to do that um, as long as it's more or less on brand. So um, I think it, it would be difficult because there's a um, relevant set of maybe 20, 25 brands that um, think like us that would work. Um, I think it would be quite difficult for us to do something that doesn't incorporate our movement because that's what we are about. But let's say, I mentioned Garrick. Garrick is a great brand. We could easily imagine doing something with them. And there are quite a few other smaller independents um who would also fit that bill. Um, so it would be a, a smaller independent and it would have to be something where you see the
0: character of both brands in, um, in the out- watch. Yeah, I think it would be a travesty to get rid of your movement in a collaboration. I think, therefore you're right in saying focusing on a smaller more artisanal brand when it comes to the aesthetics might be interesting someone like garrick is a perfect one or Ordain, for example for an enamel dial you know that would be a nice team okay let's talk more about that off air (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: and i think um if you if you look at that a um Somebody who's specialized on dials and maybe a third company that is specialized on cases and then we all get together and um, it, you don't have to do something just for the purpose of having this, done something completely different. But what I would like to do is build something that people actually like where they say, oh, this is really an only watch. It's something that I really want to buy
0: because I want the watch, not because I want to be seen by. I think that there's a lot of potential there. You never know. Maybe those conversations should, uh, should start sooner rather than later. Albert, thank you very much for your time. It has been a wonderful chat and it's been really great to hear you talk so openly about the brand, the challenges of starting and running a watch company in the modern day. And I look forward to seeing you at another event in the near future. And good luck in Waterford and anyone that wants to go along. Like we say, you will not be disappointed. If you have any questions for Albert and you would like to know more about Zeitwinkel, then please do get in touch with us. You can contact me on Instagram either r-o-b-n-u-d-d-s or alon at a-l-o-n-b-e-n-j-o-s-e-p-h and you can contact us via email either rob or alon at therealtime.show or via the contact form on the website www.therealtime.show please like follow subscribe and share the podcast and if you have time please leave us a very shiny five-star review we'll be back next week and until then stay safe and keep on ticking